This is the EPLOG audio experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. What does global mental health mean? And who are the people in the leadership position who are responsible for taking care of this 8 billion community of people on the planet? This and more on this podcast episode of the SOS show with me, Sachita. Stay tuned. Our guest for today is Gargana Manalova. She is a trained clinical psychologist and global mental health researcher. She has worked on research projects taking place in various countries, most recently in Sri Lanka. Currently, she is a consultant for the World Health Organization and also runs her own independent newsletter, Global Mental Health Unboxed, about developments in the field. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Gurgana. Welcome to a podcast, The SOS Show. Thank you for joining in and being part of this very important conversation with us in India here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure for me. Gurgana, tell me, uh, because you are part of the global mental health community, when we are talking about global mental health, what do we mean? Do we mean the mental health of 8 billion people on the planet or are we specifically looking at certain sections of people? I would definitely say that global mental health is about everyone. It's uh, historically, the field has been concentrating on uh, the mental health of people in the so-called uh, low and middle income countries, mm-hmm. as defined by the World Bank classification. But I think uh, also people in all, all around the world are starting to wake up to the fact that uh, mental health, the mental health of everyone everywhere is important and that high-income countries have their own problems provisioning mental health services for their population. And some of these problems need to be addressed in the same way as the global mental health field has been investigating in the low- and middle-income countries. So yes, it definitely covers all the 8 billion people. Mm, Amazing. So you just mentioned about the high-income countries having their own problems vis-a-vis the middle and the low-income countries. Would you like to sort of classify, when we talk about high-income countries, are we talking about specifically United States or European countries? And when we talk about uh, middle and lower-income countries, are are we pointing that out towards Asia? um, Or do you think it's mixed in every continent? Uh, The picture is very mixed. Uh, The World Bank has Mm -hmm. uh, a classification that's strictly based on income and countries can flit in and out of the high income categories that's happened historically. So in fact, uh, whichever countries we're talking about, we're not just defining them and setting it in stone. Uh, Let's say if hypothetically the income of people in the UK were to drop significantly, uh, they would go, they would leave the high income uh, country category uh, and they would be considered a low and middle income country. So uh, I would say this is about, it's different around the world. Um, You have high income countries like Chile in South America, for example, um, 
And some countries that you might not expect, uh, for example, some of the Baltic countries uh, in Europe, like Estonia and uh, uh, Lithuania. Um, And so people, you know, have in their minds a very fixed picture. It's the UK, it's the US, maybe countries like Germany, France, Italy. Um, But it's not just that. It's more than that. And when we look also at... uh, uh, you know, global mental health in uh, low and middle income countries. Again, historically, the field has been concentrating on certain countries uh, where there is more interest for various reasons and, and more research generated. Let's say countries like um, India, for example, or Nigeria or Kenya uh, or even China. But there are many more countries around the world that uh, are not focused of interest and research and they still have their own problems and they still need this kind of attention to the problems that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Like if you would like to take any example there. Well, yesterday I was speaking to someone who is interested in researching Laos because she is from Laos originally. And um, I'm not aware of any uh, specific research taking place uh, there right now. And it's definitely needed. I'm sure that if you were to look at the profile of of Laos uh, in the light of mental health, you would discover that there are, I mean, people there are experiencing their own problems with mental health. Uh, let's say um, I'm from Bulgaria, and uh, if you look at the things that are being done in the mental health field in Bulgaria, you would discover that it's very stagnant over the last 20 years or so. Uh, and this is not the case with some countries like uh, uh, India, different regions in India, or uh, Ghana, let's say, uh, or even uh, countries like China, um, which, you know, they have a different system of organizing and a different system for taking care of their mental health concerns. So that's why there are countries that might look more prosperous on the face of it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't guarantee that their mental health is better taken care of. Mm. Lovely, lovely. Countries which might appear prosperous, it's not necessarily their mental health that's taken care of. These countries that you mentioned, Gargana, in terms of the demarcation, let's talk about uh, countries uh, which are high income versus countries which are middle and low income. In your research work, have you sort of seen that there's a difference in labeling a certain mental health condition in both of them? Or do you see that there is prevalence of like, for example, depression everywhere? Or do you see there is prevalence of, say, a bipolar mode in uh, lower-income in- countries versus uh, high-income countries? Well, the research is not quite clear uh, mm-hmm. on, this, on the topic. Mm-hmm. We can say, certainly, uh, there are conditions that seem to have a more biological foundations, such as uh, bipolar disorder and psychosis, but again, they have some kind of interplay with environmental circumstances. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it, the prevalence of psychosis and bipolar disorder is going to be roughly around about the same all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some circumstances and in some historical periods, it's heightened in certain mm-hmm. countries, mm-hmm. and we don't entirely know why that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the other hand, you look at something like depression 
it is hugely influenced by environmental situations and environmental conditions, uh, by which I mean the social events and uh, the uh, economic situation of particular countries as well. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to look at depression rates uh, all over the world, uh, in, in light of the financial crisis of 2008, you would see that in some countries uh, which were more, uh, which were harder hit economically, you see that people there are, the rates of depression are really, really high because people have lost their previous social status. They are maybe now in poverty for the first time in their lives, or maybe they are again in poverty. And that's, that's affecting their mental health a lot. So if you start from, from these observations, you can extrapolate that something like the pandemic is also mm. going to be affecting people's mental health a lot. And uh, this is partly due to the economic uh, circumstances behind the pandemic, mm. the loss of jobs, uh, the loss of economic opportunities. And it, it is also uh, due to the uh, social events uh, such as, uh, you know, lockdowns, limited uh, communication uh, with family and with uh, friends, and it's also down to the simple fact that loved ones die and we grieve for them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. You mentioned uh, about depression being s something that is influenced by environmental condition, social condition, and uh, it's higher in places that that's hit by higher economic conditions in the pandemic and people losing their jobs, etc. But Gurgana, the definition of depression, let's say, is something that's very, we use it very loosely. We use it in a very day-to-day -day and uh, a conversation. Yeah. And this yeah. is something that I've asked in my earlier podcast as well. I remember asking this, that, you know, my mm -hmm. friend tells me I'm depressed today, you know, you know, uh, I'm depressed because I lost my job, you know, or I'm depressed because I broke up or I'm depressed. So in mm -hmm. Technical terms, when, we, when I'm talking to somebody who's working into the field of mental health globally, how do you use the word depression? Um, there was a, a beautiful article the other day in the Guardian online uh, website, uh, which mm. um, was written by someone with bipolar disorder. And the author made a, a, a very contentious point in a very clear way uh, when she wrote, do not confuse poor mental health with mental illness. Hmm. And of course, the boundary is murky. It's hmm. difficult to say where exactly poor mental health ends and mental illness begins. But we can say that poor mental health is more transient, uh, hmm. more temporary. Hmm. It is also more affected by circumstances. Uh, and it's born in the interaction between us and the world. Mm -hmm. uh, mental illness can also start that way, but it is, it is more entrenched. It is uh, more permanent, uh, more difficult to treat. Uh, and it, it can also be something that is chronic and sticks around for the rest of our lives. Here, of course, I mean the more severe forms of depression and uh, the severe mental illness such as bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. 
So mm-hmm. yes, I agree with you. It's it's very hard to to define, mm-hmm. and uh, we do use the term very loosely. I think generally, when when in the field of governmental health, when we speak about depression, we speak about the state in which you are unable to to conduct your life the way you want it. Maybe you're mm-hmm. unable to work. Maybe you're unable to, to, to take care of your family and kids the way you'd like to. Maybe mm-hmm. you're unable to go out with, with your friends the way you'd like to. Mm-hmm. This inability, you want to, to enjoy life, but you can't for reasons that are not entirely clear to you even. I think this is the most uh, uh, significant characteristic of depression Mm-hmm. And when a lay person is going through it, how do they know whether they are going through a poor mental health or is it mental illness that they're heading towards? What what should they do? What would you recommend? The dreaded word self-care enters the conversation here. Mm-hmm. I say dreaded because, again, it's as uh, loosely defined as depression. Mm-hmm. Uh Self-care here, I would define to be the things that we know make us feel good and the things that restore and recover our energy uh, and allow us to feel more relaxed, more at peace. This can be anything. It really depends on the person. For someone, it might mean going out with friends. For someone else, it might mean staying at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And... If we have done all the things that we know from our life experience usually help us feel better, and if we maybe have gone one step further and taken various advice of, uh, uh, you know, the things that we have never tried in our lives, uh, that but that other people do that make them feel better, mm-hmm. and we, we've exhausted all the alternatives that we can think of, and we're still not feeling better. Well, then, then we know mm-hmm. that we need something else, some more, some, some better kind of support. support. Uh, and we know mm. that we are likely to be mm. depressed. Mm. So, so that's your, that's your understanding. Yeah. That's your self-awareness. Mm. Uh, I would say, yes, uh, self-awareness is very important here. Um mm. It's, of course, something that you develop throughout your life. This uh, ability to turn to yourself and check with your own uh, state of mind and state of health, see where you are. Of course, someone who's very young, say 16, 18, maybe they don't have all that much experience in dealing with themselves, literally, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they're so young. Uh, and this is where I think uh, a lot of support and a lot of advice can help mm-hmm. in explaining that this is something that happens to all of us periodically in life. We have periods when we feel down, we feel discouraged, we feel stressed, uh, we feel um, sad or, or beaten down by life. And that when we feel like that, that there are different things that we mm. can do that maybe will help us regain our, our previous energy. And I think people underestimate uh, the value of uh, rest, relaxation, uh, and making sure that they're slowing down their pace of life. Because mm. let me tell you, the current pace of life uh, is very frantic and very mm. fast. Yeah. And uh, 
purely stress and burnout contribute a lot to to this feeling of depletedness that we that we get and that makes us feel oh i'm depressed now if you take a vacation uh or just uh, uh some stay staycation uh, at mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. you sleep well you rest um you eat good food uh you uh step back from your commitments for a while and uh, your obligations and you relax Mm. and you're still not feeling better at the at the end of this mm. then it's likely this is depression this is something deeper mm. Mm. but mm. for many people this kind of treatment this kind of self-care would help a lot mm. sure so sure. that's why uh, i'm trying to make this uh this this distinguishing um mm. difference between yeah. the the state of poor mental health and mental illness Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I have been sort of interviewing a lot of people from various parts of the country. And uh, in the earlier episodes, there was somebody who uh, mentioned he had schizophrenia. He is living in mm-hmm. London in UK. And uh, he also runs an organization, which is the Voice Hearers Organization, Peter Bulmore. And uh, he feels... that there's nothing like schizophrenia it's an age age old terminology that needs to be mm-hmm. wiped out and then again you know i had another another lady uh, in episode 76 and she mentioned and she spoke about her mother uh, being labeled mm-hmm. as schizophrenic that was many years ago and she felt that you know it needs to be redefined because she felt that she did not have anything else except anxiety in your experience of working in the mental health field do you feel that we need to redefine the age old um definitions of what mental illness says the terminology that we give we have given over mm-hmm. years ago versus now in uh, 2022 let me start with this hmm. illness is like i said earlier something that impairs you to live your life to the fullest mm. and even people with the so-called mental illnesses and severe mental illnesses as we define them bipolar disorder or psychosis which is often often overlaps with schizophrenia mm. um people can live full lives they can uh feel very you know productive and happy and um like they there is nothing wrong with them at all and i think it needs to be recognized that for some people the experience of mental illness it can cause a significant disruption to their lives and mm-hmm. for some it does not because they have found ways in which they still live their lives as if it's nothing else like say having red hair mm. or you know missing a leg you wouldn't say that someone is unhappy because they're missing a leg because you don't know how they're living their lives mm. they might be completely you know at peace at this they're fine with this it's not an illness for them it's just a fact of life um so i would say that 
maybe we need to to redefine mental illness yes and maybe we need to take account of how the individual person feels about it mm-hmm. and definitely uh, however we need uh, some diagnostic terminology about around this because uh, it's helpful mm-hmm. for the clinical side of things mm-hmm. what we can't do is we can't prevent people taking this terminology and using it to bully people. Mm-hmm. This is unfortunately something that's happened again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in And uh, those who know a little bit of the history of psychiatry might know that uh, earlier incarnations of the International Classification of Diseases uh, had uh, terms like oligophrenia, Uh, to describe uh, what today we call intellectual disability. Mm. Uh, But the term was used in a derogatory way. And Mm. this eventually caused it to be abandoned and replaced by a new term. We need to not just tell the people with uh, that we say have mental illness, that they can have a full life, we need to also inform the wider community, the wider society, that uh, people with mental illness are not defective, Mm -hmm. that there is nothing really wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It is only the the degree to which their own lives are disrupted by this uh, Mm -hmm. that the illness appears. In the UN CRPD, the Convention on the Rights for People with Disabilities, Uh, Disability is actually the intersection of your life uh, with society's expectations. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that's inherently wrong with your life, with your physical body or with your, uh, you know, with your mind. Mm -hmm. It's just that society uh, places um, uh, some expectations on you that are unrealistic or uh, there is... it, there is not the accommodation necessary mm-hmm. for you as a person. And this is where the disability appears. So mm-hmm. it's a social thing. It's not a physical thing and it's not a mental thing. Mm-hmm. I subscribe to this understanding of disability better and of this understanding as illness. Right. Coming in terms of the side effects of medication that everyone has been talking about uh, also in my earlier podcasts, uh, people with lived experiences, there has been weight gains. There has been, you know, uh, the doctors mm-hmm. tell them that, you know, the kidneys are going to get uh, in the long run damaged. We know mm-hmm. about this. Uh, do you have any thoughts in terms of why is that happening in 2022? Do we need to relook at the research that's going on in terms of the medica- medical part of it? Yes, This is unfortunately very unfair to people Mm. who need to be on medication for their mental illness. Yeah. Um, In essence, their medication treats one illness and Mm. creates significant risks for other illnesses. And that's unacceptable. Mm. Unfortunately, it's difficult to address this. Medication is made mostly by pharmaceutical companies that have the money and the resources to conduct research. And uh, they haven't been investing, the companies haven't been investing in the development and improvement of psychiatric uh, medication for 
many years now. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also a independent research that is not taking place within pharmaceutical companies, but there haven't had not been very significant advances either in that field. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really very unfair because the current state of medication and research tells us that this means that people who have to take medication for a severe mental illness might have a lifespan that is 20 years shorter than people who are yeah. not taking this medication. How is this acceptable? And mm. this quality, the quality of life that they're going to have meanwhile is also um, affected by medication. They have weight gain, like you said, they, they yeah. might have met metabolic uh, syndrome. And, and this is not acceptable. Um, the only thing we can as clinicians uh, or as uh, relatives and friends of people with with uh, uh, mental illness who are on medication. The only part where we can join is to support them to have mm -hmm. a healthier lifestyle. For someone who's on medication, it's that much more important that they incorporate the elements of healthy lifestyle, uh, including exercise, including healthy, strict uh, diet of healthy food, Mm -hmm. um, including, uh, you know, regular medical examinations as well. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, not something that everybody has access to mm -hmm. and has the opportunity to do. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's it's important because this is what we currently can do. Right. So include healthy lifestyle with your medications is the only thing that we can currently do. But can we sort of question, can we challenge, is anyone doing that? Who is the body responsible for that, this? When you talk about World Health Organization, you have been part of this, you are a part of it. Uh, who are the people in the leadership position who determine this? Yes, I am a consultant at the WHO, but I don't speak for it, um, mm. of course. Uh, I would say that if you look at the WHO structure, the people who are ultimately in charge of it, that's the ministries of health of the member states, which is mm. nearly all the countries in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they are the ones who are in charge. Um, but if we uh, look more globally at the structure of mental health around the world, you have various stakeholders, various bodies and actors that are concerned with this. And yes, that includes pharmaceutical companies, that includes individual governments, that includes uh, large uh, non-governmental organizations, mm -hmm. uh, advocacy organizations, uh, those who are professional associations. All of them can uh, do their part and also exercise pressure on the other actors. For example, maybe pharmaceutical uh, companies are not doing research right now. But uh, if we could persuade them and, and pressure them into doing that and improving their uh, medication uh, that they're offering, this would help a lot. And there are ways to do that. There are ways to, to do it politically. Uh, the WHO uh, can uh, invite them to do that and help them to do that by creating forums and uh, recommendations on how to safely conduct this research mm -hmm. and how to collaborate with people with lived experience mm -hmm. so that um, they can get information about how the medication is working in their lives. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of pharmaceutical research is very immediate, right? It just looks at, oh, you have these symptoms. You take mm-hmm. this pill. Are the symptoms gone? Great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. It's doing what it's supposed to do. But we also need to look at the longer term, at the quality of life. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is another theme that's becoming very clear and current in mental health, in global mental health as well. That mm-hmm. mental health is not about how you're fe- not just about how you're feeling right now. It is also about your quality of life and uh, how mm-hmm. you're living your life, how your life is going to be in the future, and how to structure your life in a way that will make that will give you the best outcomes for your mm-hmm. for your mental health. Mm, brilliant. Not just how you're feeling, but also what is the quality of your life. I think that's something very important to address it. Talking about India, Gurgaon, I mean, you know, there has been Mental Health Care Act 2017 that got passed in 2017. And um, I have been talking to a lot of people involved who were part of the act as well. But there has been no implementation of it yet. Five years down, 2022. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on it? Uh, do you think, how can we go about pushing if not pressurizing uh, the government to do the implementation of it? Unfortunately, this is something that I think happens more often than not. Mm. Governments pass, uh, or rather parliaments pass legislation, which is perfectly usable, perfectly good, updated and modern. And then no one actually goes around implementing it. Mm. And this is the point at which uh, advocacy groups and organizations mm-hmm. uh, come into the picture. Mm-hmm. Not the only point, but they are very important in, in this situation because they are the ones that can announce to the wider society, there mm-hmm. is a solution for this problem, but it's not being implemented yet. Yeah. Nothing is being done by the people who should be doing it yeah. and address the people who should be taking care of it and say, this is your next step. This Mm -hmm. is what you should be doing. So uh, I think the most effective way to do this is really to look at the uh, legislation, in this case, the CARE Act, Mm -hmm. and uh, look at the current status uh, of the mental health system. See what really the next immediate step should be. It could be creating commissions. It could be uh, doing a, a general revision or a general review of, of the status quo. It could be um, inviting uh, patient organizations and organizations of people with lived experience on the mm-hmm. table to talk about it. But the uh, advocacy groups should decide on this one next immediate step together. Mm-hmm. and mount uh, a campaign to insist on it. This kind of coordinated action is very important because this way uh, the society gets to hear about it, gets to talk about it, and mm-hmm. then they start asking this question of their government. Yeah, why aren't you doing that? Why mm-hmm. are you not getting involved with this when it's so easy and it's so achievable? This is what you should be doing. Yeah. Eventually, governments get around to doing it if mm. the pressure is intense enough yeah. and they see that this is a thing that concerns a lot of people that a lot of people are talking about unfortunately historically mental health is not 
something that um, I think a lot of people talk about in their own countries. Mm. People have will say, "Oh, we have plenty of other concerns." Um, mm. You know, it's even about even now, food. even now, when everyone is sort of talking about it, <sighs> yeah, okay. Um, the pandemic has uh, yeah, brought I mean, this uh, yeah. change. Yeah, that people are starting to as as some people in in the field of uh, mental health, uh, such as uh, Vikram Patel, has said uh, now for the first time people are starting to understand what it is like to have poor mental health massively and <laughs> mm. mass because yeah. everybody yeah. is experiencing that. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't see the action yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Right now, it's about talking and then a lot of promises, but we don't see the action yet. I think we will see it in the coming years. Again, we need to put pressure and we need to say, this is important. This is what you should be doing individually in our own countries, to our own governments and collectively so that the governments of countries, of other countries can see and understand that this is coming to their country soon enough that people are going to be asking this as well. Historically, it's been people with mental illness, people with lived experience, their relatives and friends who have been talking about mental health and clamoring for better mental health uh, systems and support and treatment. Now, it should be everybody. It really is everybody's business. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, on the World Mental Health Day, that's October 10th, I asked this question to, uh, you know, a lot of, lot, of, a lot of guests on the podcast uh, coming with the answer of what is the next biggest challenge for uh, the mental health community and the ecosystem. And uh, it was lack of money. It was lack mm -hmm. of research. It was lack of infrastructure, people, resources, stigma, a lot of these things. When you are in the middle of uh, working in the field globally, what do you think are or is the biggest challenge that we are facing right now? And do you think if, uh, if that's getting addressed I am looking at it a little differently. Mm. Uh, these concerns that you mentioned, mm. they do belong to the field, but they belong to the field specifically, to the scientific field. Mm. I am thinking about the mental health challenges and concerns that, are, uh, that people are facing. Mm. And I think uh, the ones that uh, we are facing... Um, you mean the individuals? Yes, individual mm. people around the world, mm. these 8 mm. billion people that mm. we're talking mm. about. Mm. Currently, we have a lot of factors that mm. make our lives worse, uh, our mental health worse. Mm. And each one is contributing just a little bit. Mm. It's, um, and I'm listing here things that are supported by research. Lack of nature. Mm -hmm. Research mm -hmm. says that access to nature green spaces, so-called green spaces and blue spaces, which are bodies of water, is beneficial to our mental health. Noise and air pollution in the urban uh, environment and sometimes in the rural environment as well. This is that very detrimental to mental health. Uh, political instability and societal stress. This erodes trust, trust in communities and, and uh, demolishes relationships. Loneliness, 
which is the urban condition, but it's, it can also be experienced by lots of people who have to migrate for their work, uh, maybe rural to urban or maybe internationally. Uh, social media, which aggressively promotes conflict and discord in our societies. These things, they might seem removed from mental health at first glance, but research supports each and every one of these as being a factor that makes uh, our mental health worse. However, uh, because they are um, each so incremental, acting on us little by little, we don't notice it. And because they're so pre prevalent as well, all in our lives, we don't notice it. But these are things that uh, are making our lives uh, worse and we don't know how to mount the defense for mental health against such disparate factors so, just and, so of uh, course these these all these points that you've mentioned in terms of loneliness the social media uh, mm -hmm. the requirement of green and blue spaces the political instability noise air pollution all these points mm -hmm. they create a certain amount of silent stresses which yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, uh, some of them are silent stresses, like mm. noise mm. wears you down, makes yeah. your uh, mental health worse. Yeah. Air pollution has been linked to a heightened prevalence of severe mental illness. Mm. Uh, political instability and societal stress mm. makes your neighborhood more atomized. You no longer get together with your neighbors because every time you get together, there is some argument going on about politics, <laughs> loneliness. Mm. You're away from your family in the big city mm. or you're away from your family in another country and you see your kids maybe once every six months if you're mm. lucky. Mm. Mm. Social media, where every time you log on or you look at it, you're are either arguing with someone yeah. about uh, some local conflict yeah. Or you're seeing someone who has, quote-unquote, more than you in the mm. materialistic sense. And mm. that makes you feel underachieving. Mm. And lack of nature, which feels you, that makes you feel that you are closed in, that you can't even go out and relax. These mm. things, uh, they are all a little bit worse, make, make our mental health a little bit worse, um, make our, our daily lives a little bit more depressing and, and dispiriting. And when you combine all of this, which is all the things that your urban resident and sometimes rural resident uh, as well is mm -hmm. subjected to every mm -hmm. day, mm -hmm. can you see how this really makes our mental health uh, concerns uh, a really big thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then sure. you have yeah. burnout because of job stress, mm. uh, you, long hours, um, you know, lots of pressure in your company or place of work. Yeah. You have the pandemic exhaustion. All of these things rolled into one, they represent one big mental health challenge. Mm. Um, we don't yet have um, a strategy against this. And I think we should. Mm. I think we, of course, it's it's not going to be a strategy that tackles all of them at once. Yeah. But we need to yeah. recognize that these are things that can be fought against and mm. uh, pushed back. Mm. 
Mm. And that uh, if we do that, we're taking care of ourselves in this way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a quick word before we wrap wrap this up is, tell me, what are your thoughts on refugees? And I know this is a huge topic, refugees mm-hmm. and mental health. Yes. When we talk about uh, the Syria crisis, what do you think mm-hmm. are we doing enough for the mental health of refugees? Refugees uh, are people like you and me who just had to leave their homes in mm-hmm. a hurry uh, in the midst of violent, violent conflict or in fear for their lives or their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that they have gone through can often make them incredibly resilient uh, and very resistant, with, uh, uh, very resistant to adversities in life and difficulties in life. But it can sometimes make them f- very fragile too. Mm-hmm. I think in the mental health field, we should look at these two things, not just the uh, fra- fragility, but also the resilience. Mm. Not just the resilience, but also the fragility. And understand that the unique events that have happened to these people are making it uh, more difficult for them to to live their lives um, normally mm. uh, in, in peace and, and quiet because maybe they've witnessed a lot of conflict. They've witnessed a lot mm. of things that nobody should witness. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, this these experiences might haunt them, giving rise to a post-traumatic stress disorder. But at the same time, there are also people that might have uh, gained uh, entry to another country and they're building their lives from scratch, from zero there. And that makes them also very resilient because, again, they have managed to find a way to cope with a very difficult situation where they had probably had nothing but literally the clothes on their back. Uh, and they, they deserve our support and encouragement and the recognition uh, for everything that they have gone through and how they, have, they still have the, the, the hope and the energy to build their lives. Uh, and they deserve uh, also to be fully participating in our communities and in our societies. Internationally, what we can do is just support organizations that are helping them to build their lives again and providing them with the resources and support that they need. And nationally, within our own communities, if we know people who are refugees, we can give them our support, we can give them uh, our uh, friendship or, or communication, uh, we can, uh, you know, whatever we would do for our friends, we would also do for these people because they deserve it. And uh, because they have been deprived of all the structure that we have in our lives. Imagine looking around at your, in your, in the comfort of your home or work. Uh, and you think all of this is taken away from you. And wouldn't you deserve the support and help? Of course you would. Everybody does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gargana, for joining us and uh, for sharing a perspective uh, in this uh, show. Thanks so much. It was real pleasure. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking to you again whenever you say. 
For me, some of the great takeaways from this episode has been one, do not confuse poor mental health with mental illness. And second, the biggest challenges in the mental health ecosystem that we are facing or going to face and which need special attention are not just the obvious ones that we're talking about, which is your research, your infrastructure, your resources, stigma, etc. The biggest challenges could be actually noise and air pollution, your loneliness, your social media and how it affects your mental health, your burnouts and more. I hope we can think and do more about these challenges as well.